Hi, and welcome to Messy in the Middle. I'm your host, Jessica Lee. This is a podcast featuring real women's stories about their journey, the messy part, the trials and tribulations to get from recurrent miscarriage and infertility to baby. Join us as we talk, cry, laugh, and get unbelievably vulnerable to feel less alone in the gang that no one wants to be a part of. I just wanted to give a bit of insight as to what it's actually like to create a podcast. So I'm a complete amateur, if you haven't noticed, completely new to this, completely self-taught. YouTube has been a great resource. But one thing I've noticed that really stands out is that you become so critical of how you talk. There are too many long pauses. I take too long to spit out the question. There's too much saying. There's too much saying. There's things like that. (laughs) Um, Too much yeah and ums. And I think think you'll notice in this episode particularly, because it was the very first one I've recorded as an interview, that I've got to learn to stop saying yeah and acknowledging what the other person is saying. And it's so unnatural because you don't want to be rude. You want to, you, you want to be involved and yeah, acknowledge what they're trying to say. But it doesn't sound good when you're doing a podcast. So it's something that I'm working on. I'm sorry if my voice butting in sounds annoying. And I listen back on episodes and I think of things that I sh- like. I notice things that I shouldn't have said and I should have said this instead. And I know that I sometimes say the wrong thing and I kick myself. I kick myself that I can't edit it out or have a do-over. So, yeah, I'm sorry, it's not perfect. I'm only going to get better with time, I hope. Um, But this episode I spoke to Heather. I loved how it evolved and went in directions that I wasn't expecting. Heather struggled to conceive and moved on to IVF, but her struggles didn't end there. Right after birth, her son had to be rushed to the NICU and the next morning had to be airlifted to another hospital to be put on life-saving machines. Strap yourselves in. It's a good one. All right. Hi, Heather. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Great. I just want to um, you know, start off by telling me your age, where you're from and who's in your family. I recently just turned 39 and I live in Simi Valley, California, and it is myself, my husband and my son. Beautiful. And go back to the beginning. How did your trying to conceive journey start? Um, I never really envisioned. I was never that girl that grew up, like couldn't wait to be a mom or envision myself being a mom. And I my husband and I got married in 2015 and it was just kind of like something we just didn't really talk about. We were like, we'll get to that point if it's meant to be, or we won't. And, um, I think we were talking to my dad one day and we were, my dad's like, when are you guys going to have grandkids? I'm ready to be a grandpa. And I just said, I think we're just gonna be dinks, dual incomes, no kids. And he was like, you guys are my, you, it's me and my sister and my older brother. And he's like, you kids are my best friends. Like mm-hmm. the holidays wouldn't be the same. All the fun stuff we do, the vacations, like you want that with a kid one day when you're older. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. You don't, I don't, you don't think about like your parents one day in the near, near future, like passing on. And then it's you and whoever, yeah, you know, you choose to raise a family with. So 
we discussed it and we were like, all right, let's, I guess let's start trying like whatever <laughs> that looks like. And I don't want to say we were never not trying. Um, cause we'd never used any like contraceptives or I was never on the pill or anything like that. So we made a conscious effort and nothing was happening. And then I started to get a little nervous because I was 32 and I know with age stuff kind of like starts to slow down the egg production quality sperm, all of that. So mm. I spoke to um, an OB who said, you know what, give it six months. And if not, then come back, come, come in and see me. We'll run some, some tests. So we mm. tried for six months, completely unsuccessful. And then I went in and he did a couple things to just ensure that I was ovulating, which I was, and we still were like getting nowhere. So then I reached out to an actual fertility specialist and yeah, it had, it came down to it that I had a blocked tube. So mm. if I was, um, ovulating on one side, the side that my tube was blocked on, like there was obviously nothing getting through. Yeah, it was probably a good year after we decided to try and then six months of nothing and then the doctor appointments. And at that point was when we started our fertility journey. So what do they do to unblock your tubes? So there is a procedure. Um, I was my had my OB at the time or my fertility specialist I had asked, like, can we just unblock it? And yeah. he said, there is a procedure that can be done, but it, he made it seem like it wasn't really worth it. It was very expensive. And if you go through IVF, you are bypassing the tubes. So there was, there would be no reason. Yeah, right. And it was expensive. So it was like, let's do it in a controlled environment via IVF we would have a higher success rate. You know, you're getting implanted a good embryo, hopefully, and it's just more controlled. So he just suggested that it wasn't worth trying to unblock because even if you attempt to unblock, doesn't mean it's fully unblocked. And were there any concerns that you'd been trying for so long at this point, but you still hadn't conceived, like with the other two being okay? Yeah, I there was concern. So then that's when after we determined that I was able to ovulate that, okay, she can ovulate. Let's go get your husband's sperm tested. And yeah. his was fine. So then there was, that's when we had done the dye test. I forget the name, but it's really yeah. long. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know which one. It was very, very painful. Some mm. women, it's not an issue if they're not blocked, but for me, it was probably worse than childbirth. Wow. And just because I had an epidural and I didn't when I was going through <laughs> that. And yeah, so we just decided to not do the surgery. He just really didn't elaborate on it. And yeah, okay. because he felt like it wasn't the best is why we were like, okay, we kind of just went with his guidance. So over there is IVF covered by insurance or anything like that? Because over here, like IVF is still very expensive. We do have like bulk build kind of options, but there's still quite a large um, out-of-pocket expense. Yeah, yes and no. So there are companies that do provide insurance that are that are on top of it and yeah. recognize it. And there is some coverage. 
I know at the time of the transfer with my son, um, I had to fail five IUIs before <sighs> they would cover anything regarding an IVF process. Yeah. So we went through that five months back to back. Yeah. But the company my husband's with now, no fertility is covered. Yeah. So I think it all just depends, but there's so many amazing like support groups um, on Facebook where there's a few companies, there's not a few, there's, there's, there's companies and they're, and they're growing that are recognizing this yeah. as something that they want to cover for their employees and Starbucks. Surprisingly. Yes, I, I did read that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of women that were like at their wits end and desperate and were like, you know what, I'm going to go work at Starbucks until I can get yeah. my family complete. Yeah. So we were covered in the beginning, but we have been doing this for a lot of years to where the latter part of what we had gone through has not been covered. Right, so okay. it is a tremendous expense. Yeah. And can you go through what IVF was like for you? Um, I think initially just learning that there's something wrong or something is not, I hate to use that word, but something mm -hmm. in you is not allowing you to procreate like we were intended to do. Yeah. And I think just learning about it and having to learn all the terms and the acronyms and what this new journey looks like. It's not a matter of, you know, some people that just get to have like a wild night and yeah. then all of a sudden they find yeah. out a few weeks pregnant, they're, a few weeks later that they're pregnant, that it is all hands on deck. I mean, from the appointments to the medication to the limitations. I am very involved in fitness and get, going to the gym is a huge um, therapy for me. So yeah. I wasn't allowed to like go two weeks prior and then two weeks after until we found out if I was pregnant or not. Yeah. Um, so just a huge commitment, mm -hmm. you know, just not emotionally, mentally, but financially everything. It is the uh, doctor appointments, I, nobody could have prepared me for how often you would be in and out of that doctor's office. Yeah. Blood tests. Yeah. And the IUI, same thing. I don't know if you'd have, have you gone through? No, any no, I haven't done IUI or IVF. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought you had been through. Yeah. So the IUI um, is, they use the term turkey baster method. Yeah. So. Yeah they have the sperm and then they wash it where they're able to like get rid of, you know, any dead sperm or low quality sperm. And, yeah. and then they inject it in you and it's not going past your tubes like yeah. IVF would. So, yeah. so did you do IUI as well? I, I did five. Oh, so yeah. you did the that five, was, right. Uh, yeah, that was the only way insurance would cover right, any okay. portion of my IVF. So yeah, yeah, that was five months back to back. And oh, that must have been you, so hard when it just would have felt like such a redundant exercise to do. It was because you hear, oh, if you stand on your head or <laughs> if you leave your legs in the air or don't get too warm of a pedicure, like you just, it almost makes you go mad. 
thinking of like all these little things that could derail this process. And some of it is just so beyond your control that it doesn't matter what you do. But yeah, five months back to back, it was, I, we had prepared that an IUI probably was not going to work, but to hold Mm. out hope because truly anything is possible. But it, it, when I would go in and he would, my doctor would um, do my, all the ultrasounds are vaginal. He would be like, oh, you're ovulating on your right side. And it's like, well, we know this isn't going to work because that side is, you know, not, not fully functioning. Yeah, the five. And then um, my first transfer, we uh, were very fortunate to get pregnant with my son. So that's amazing on the first try. Yes, because there's a lot of women who've transferred several times, years worth of transfers and has have found no success. That's really actually really interesting because there was obviously just an issue with the sperm meeting the egg. So every like your uterus and everything must have been okay. Well, when they I, my eggs were fine and his sperm was fine and you know when they do the PGS testing where they test the embryos. I mean, as long as they're implanting it past where my personal issue was, which was my tube. I mean, success rates of IVF, even in the perfect scenarios, is only like 65, 70%. I think it goes down once you're in your 30s. Um, But having the great embryo quality, it was like, okay, this this should not, we shouldn't have a problem. Um, At this point, had you had all your hormones tested as well? Oh gosh, yes. That I had done that prior in the interim of not being able when when the first OB was asking me to give it six months. Mm-hmm. We had already been prepping, and I have a, yeah. th- a low thyroid, so I know yeah. that can play a role. So I had been on top of my blood work for quite some time prior to all that. But yes, that is constantly something that's checked and managed and. Was that Stay under the guidance well. of a doctor or did you have to be proactive and get those tests done yourself? Um, I mean, the doc, the, the fertility doctor definitely monitors those certain hormones that play the role in conceiving. Um, but I've just always been adamant about my health and staying on top of it and always just making sure my numbers were right. So I do remember I had found out like 10 years ago that I had a sluggish thyroid and 39 now. So at 29, I'm like, what does that mean? Well, when and if you choose to have children, it could play a role. So just stay on top of it. So I had already been aware and just really was adamant with my prescription and my dosage and all of that. All right. So going through IVF, fell pregnant, your first transfer, that must have felt amazing. It was the best day of my life getting that call. I was working the morning I had the transfer and that was not ideal, but mm. I run my own business and I had to. Yeah. And I had a client come in who was so sick, which I don't even know why she came in <laughs> and coughed and didn't even cover her mouth. And I'm oh, like, great, goodness. great. I have a transfer in like two hours. And Everybody talks about that two-week wait. That is Mm -hmm. so just the longest two weeks of your life. There's so many hormones going crazy. You've got all these drugs in your system. 
and it's they mimic a lot of like pregnancy symptoms Mm -hmm. so you're just totally confused but I do remember after that lady was in my truck I got sick and I went through with the transfer after um I worked and then I got sick and literally was it was probably one of the worst sicknesses I had ever gotten yeah I was in bed for I don't know, a week and a half. And when I got the call, I think I was just so distracted by not feeling good and sick and not moving around a lot that when I got the call, I was like, really? Yeah. Like, are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? Because it's something you, you've worked so hard for, put so much time and emotion and energy. It, it literally affects your whole entire life. From your friends to your work, your just there's not one part of your life that it doesn't touch or affect. So Mm -hmm. to get that call was, I mean, obviously amazing. It was one of the best days of my life. Mm -hmm. And you didn't do a cheeky pregnancy test beforehand? You waited for the phone call? No. Wow. You know what? (laughs) I think it was because I was sick. I really, I was not feeling well and just said, everybody said, don't do it. Yeah, no, I never tested, never tested. Oh, you've got so much more self-control than I would have had. I would say a lot of women do it, but it, yeah, they will start like peeing on a stick, like right after, and they'll have like all these little HC. And I was just like, that just sounds like if I do it wrong, it's going to stress me out. And then if I that stress, that could ruin the implantation. So I just, didn't do it yeah I mean at the end of the day it's going to be what it's going to be so it's going to be what it's going to be yeah yeah it was a big fat pregnant for me I was so elated so elated how were you feeling being on the IVF hormones and then moving into pregnancy all the pregnancy hormones was there was there a huge difference in that or were they quite similar with how you were feeling the pregnancy or I mean I'm sorry the uh, IVF hormones, you know, I just felt my, my husband, husband could probably better answer how yeah. I was versus how I felt, you know, you just always felt very bloated, always felt bloated. And because I couldn't work out yeah. at certain periods of the transfer that just made me feel fat and yeah. sluggish and unhealthy. Um, so I think for me, the hormones, it was more or less just bloat constant blow and cramping like you were on your period yeah um the pregnancy um I got morning sickness like most women do and it was absolutely awful yeah it was awful (laughs) the nausea and nothing being able to subside that that pain or that illness but like high starchy foods and Mm -hmm. carbs and then the weight gain comes with that but I think for me I was so blessed I was so appreciative to be pregnant that I really really tried to keep the mind frame like this isn't going to be forever Mm -hmm. and how grateful I feel to be here knowing that there are so many people that you know, would die for this because yeah. this is just a moment in time. But yeah, some some women, when they get pregnant through IVF, they'll be kept on some hormones uh, like progesterone. I was kept on that mm. for 
probably 12 weeks yeah. after we found out I was pregnant. And you started um, that once you got the positive pregnancy test? Oh, gosh, no. I started that. that yeah, you start that, I believe. I mean, every doctor's different. And yeah. depending on how thick or thin your lining is, it's different for everybody. I think I started that before, right before we did the transfer. Right. And okay. they want you to stay on it. Yeah. Keep the lining nice and thick. And then um, for me, they had me just continue to stay on it, which do you know about those? Yeah, well, I haven't used them yet, um, but the direction that I've got from my fertility specialist is to start taking it once I get a positive. I've heard they're not fun. <laughs> well, there's two methods, the oil right. injection in the butt, and, and I thought that hurt really bad, and I hate needles. You would think after <laughs> all the years of injections, I'd be over it by now, but I wound up doing the suppositories, and it's just disgusting it yeah, was just like leaky cottage cheese coming out of you <laughs> all day long I had to do three morning noon and night right and it was just a constant state of just uh, changing your underwear so yeah buy yeah. more underwear yeah. <laughs> if that's the case because it was just but I think when you commit to the the, the mind frame that like IVF and, and this route is what I need to have a family or to complete a family, you will go through anything. 100%. You are so desperate. Yeah. You will move mountains to make this work. So yeah. yeah, you just try to sum it up that this, the end goal is to have this little baby enter my yeah. life and change yeah. my life that you're like, whatever, bring on the cottage cheese. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And how is your, when you're going through all these struggles, like not falling pregnant for so long and then the IVF, how is your relationship? Uh, it, it gets tiresome, I think, on the relationship because the husband can understand or your significant under, can understand to a degree, mm. but I feel so blessed. I have literally like the best husband in the world who is so mm. He's so sensitive. He's so empathetic. He's so patient and really just kind of allowed me to go through the emotions that I was going through and, you know, kept his, I mean, his feelings were very much present, but kept them at bay yeah. to a point and just kind of allowed me to just kind of go through what I was going through. Yeah. Amazing. And I would say for us, this type of journey definitely has the power to make or break a relationship. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe when you go through really tough things like this, it only makes you stronger yeah. and it connected us on a deeper level. And it really showed me maybe him too, but for me, how bad I really wanted this, that I was willing to put myself through all of this. So yeah. I, there were definitely some trying times, lots of crying, lots of mm. tears, doubting yourself. It you you just become uh, submerged in emotions, and yeah. your hormones are going crazy. Even if, even when you're not pregnant, and you're emotional about a lot of stuff. And don't look at me that way. Why are you looking? <laughs> <at me? laughs> but he was he was so supportive and was at every doctor appointment, and I. I couldn't have asked for a better partner to, to yeah, go through it with. Amazing. Amazing. And that's I the kind of support having, that you need. 
you do. But at the same time, nobody could prepare the the, the woman in the situation, mm. how to handle going through it. And, and the guy, he's going through it in a different way or another female, however your relationship is. Yeah. But you, that has to get frustrating for them, especially ones that like, where the husband is like, I really want a family. This mm. was part of the deal when we got together that we yeah. were going to have children. Yeah. So I was fortunate to just have a partner that was like, look, if this is meant to be, it'll happen. And I'll be here with you through thick and thin. It was a stress that I never had to deal with. Yeah. I had enough yeah. going on. So yeah. what was your pregnancy like? Oh, girl. <laughs> well, initially I was just over the moon. It was yeah. the most amazing thing to to get that positive. Um, obviously very exciting when like you start to like get a bump. And yeah. then I remember vividly week 16 feeling the flutters and you're like what yeah. the heck <laughs> that's what everybody talks about I just experienced it and I remember yeah. where I was and what we were doing and yeah. it kind of made everything like this is real like yeah there is a little creature <laughs> and I am baking and it was just so I just really enjoyed being pregnant I got really big um I think being an athlete I was always like told, oh, when you get pregnant, you'll be so small and so cute. And that's yeah. not what happened. <laughs> I got really big. I um, got gestational diabetes, which I mm -hmm. never saw that coming. So that was hard because uh, just having to manage every single thing I ate and staying low on your carbs. And that was not fun because I'd always been so disciplined and strict on my diet prior to getting pregnant that I was like, you know what, this will give me a little bit of a break and I can just mm. enjoy mm -hmm. myself and eating yeah. and whatever. And I wasn't afforded that luxury. So no. uh, that was a bummer. But yeah, I constantly kept up obviously on all my doctor appointments. And because I was 35, um, I was considered what is it? Geriatric? Yeah, I know. What a term. Old, <laughs> right? I'm like, good Lord, you make it sound like I'm about to die. Yeah. So I uh, just stayed up to date with that. I had a couple, you know, um, scares. I think it was like week five or six where they couldn't even hear the heartbeat yet. We'd oh, known I tested positive. Yeah. And I woke up in the morning and went to the bathroom and like a ton of blood came out. And I was like, oh, uh... I lost them instantly like all this joy had just like came plummeting down we went to the er which had i had been in a right frame of mind i would have been like there's nothing they can do there's, mm. there's nothing they can do mm. but we went and they said it, we see the sack we see the yolk but you're still too early to detect a heartbeat so i had to wait a couple more weeks before i went to my fertility clinic and they're like okay you're at the time where you know we we should be able to hear a heartbeat and it the most magical noise oh. you could have ever when yeah. you worked so hard to expand your family with the person you love there is nothing sweeter than hearing that noise and oh, it man. is a moment I will never ever forget oh yeah I know I'm getting emotional too <laughs> it was it just must have been like that another two-week wait for your skin yeah. and then being in the ultrasound room you just must have felt so anxious I, I think constantly the amount of yeah. stress one goes through 
is just on a level that you have never experienced before. And so we were obviously elated that we, you know, he was, we heard a heartbeat. It was very strong. And then I think week 28, I was um, doing something at the gym, really light, nothing strenuous. And I felt like I completely peed my pants. And I was like, Oh Oh my God, I wasn't even doing anything (laughs) crazy. And I had a ton of blood panicked again. And got right into the doctor and I'm like, he's, I was convinced you, you try hard not to think negatively, but you're almost kind of conditioned to think that way because you have failed, failed, failed mm-hmm. so many times, so many methods that you're almost, you're not hoping for it, but you're almost like kind of expecting, or yeah. at least for me, that was the case. Like, okay, I, th- here we are. We just yeah. got a little further and it's just failed. And to do the ultrasound and to see him moving on the screen. It was just like, Oh my God. Okay. Like stop We're scaring okay. me like that child. <laughs> I know. I know. So yeah, it was, um, interesting, but. So did they give any there's some explanation women that, for bleeding? No, they just said sometimes people bleed. I think the first one at five weeks was like more of a clot. So I was, mm-hmm. I mean, when the embryo is so tiny, I'm thinking that's what that was. I knew when we were at 28 weeks, it wasn't enough blood where it was like the baby had passed. It wasn't like that, but any sign of blood, I think as a pregnant woman and a woman who has struggled with fertility, you are like on extra high alert, like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, what is this? So no, um, I think the first bleeding, they said it was implantation bleeding, but it was a lot. So I just assumed the, I had passed the baby and or the yeah. embryo at the time, and but obviously, it was nothing. And right. yeah, <laughs> I ha- I have a crazy going into birth story. I don't know if you want to hear that. Yes, let's get into it. So I at thirty, it was la- it was a latter part of my pregnancy where I was like itching, like all over my arms, yes. yeah, my legs, um. And it would really get the worst for me was in bed when I was trying to sleep, which is like the worst time because you're trying to relax. You already have this big old belly. And I had just dealt with it. I brought it up to my OB and they were like, oh, it's just hormones. And when you've never been pregnant before, you have nothing to compare it to. And you're, you just contribute every weird thing to like, oh, it's just hormones. It's just pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So I remember it got really bad where I had like scabs on my legs and my head was bleeding from just scratching Uh. so hard. And I was like, I need to take a Benadryl. We are, this baby is almost here and I need to get a couple solid nights of sleep. I called L and D the labor and delivery at the hospital. Cause you can call them anytime. There's always a nurse on duty and they're always so informative instead of just running to the ER. I called and I said, can I please take a uh, like a Benadryl is that going to hurt the baby and they were like well, well what's wrong and I said I am itching like out of my skin and they're like that really sounds like a liver issue you mm-hmm. need to go see your OB tomorrow and I'm like oh god what now so that morning I I go see him they said go to the hospital he's he's delivering babies we'll go and have a stress test done on the baby he he the stress test was fine they did a urine test on me and my urine was like this, like orange, like oh wow, very. And I always drank water, so I was yeah. hydrated. But yeah, um, 
he called my high risk doctor. I don't know how it is in Australia, but in the States, like past a certain age, you are recommended to see a high risk. And um, my OB called him and he said, get that baby out. I had tested positive for cholestasis, which is a liver function issue and toxic for baby and mom. So we did, um, my doctor was like, do you want to, we can have this baby in seven minutes and do a C-section or we can um, give you some Pitocin and get this pregnancy or this, this labor underway. And I said, I, you know, I obviously want to try mm. to do this on my own versus yeah. surgery right away. Yeah. So that was on a Monday and I labored Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and on Ugh. Wednesday at, at 7 a.m., he uh, broke my water, and then I didn't reach full dilation until noon, and then I asked the nurse there, like, how long is this going to take? Like, how long of active pushing? I think if you tell me how long, I can look at the clock and prepare yeah, yeah. that this is just going to be a workout. It's like an hour, hour and a half, maybe. I pushed from 12 noon to 3.42 when he was removed from my uterus or from, yeah, yeah from yeah. my body um, with four steps. Oh, goodness. And he wasn't crying. They knew he took in meconium. Right. And uh, they already had the, um, what do you call it? The NICU in there. And he went right away to the NICU and... Um, they just said he, we just have him on some oxygen. He just took in some meconium. It's kind of common. It's not a big deal. And then the next morning at six, the NICU doctor came in and is like, your son is very ill. He oh, has a goodness. very low survival rate. Oh. He needs to be airlifted to another hospital that can give him the machines he needs to save his life. You need to make a decision where you want him to go. And we ultimately, um, a few hours later, a helicopter came and transported them to Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. I picked UCLA because I'm like, UCLA, I've heard of them. And they're, they came back and were like, all the nurses are on strike. We can't send them there. And I'm like, okay, I guess Children's. Yeah. Meanwhile, I just had this baby. I wasn't planning on having him for a couple. I had had him at 38 weeks. So I wasn't planning on like having him so soon. And so we wound up having him airlifted to Children's in, Los, in Hollywood. And um, they needed to airlift him to get on a machine that's an ECMO machine. Um, kind of just allows him to, I should know the, the acronyms, but it's a very lengthy yeah. machine name, but um, just kind of breathes for him and allows his body to just kind of calm down and the machine just kind of does all the work. And um, he was on that for nine days. And I'm sorry, had you even held him at this point or... You know what? They put him on my chest for a second and took him right away. I got oh. no like bonding, skin to skin. And I had pushed for so many hours that every between each contraction, I was passing out. I was so tired and I was just totally out of it. My blood pressure plummeted. They brought in an ER doctor for me. Yeah. The baby was already in the NICU. Like, Every stuff got real, really fast. It uh, just, it was probably the most awful delivery I could have imagined. Yeah. I thought the hardest part was let's get me pregnant and yeah. everything will be smooth sailing from there. And it was, if anything, the hard part had just begun. 
oh, had goodness. just begun. He was there for a month. He was born on October 24th of 2018. And um, he got to come home on um, Thanksgiving Day. So he was there for 30 days. And just to backtrack a little, I, I know you're in Australia, but we had crazy fires happening uh. at that time. We had a horrible shooting at uh. one of our local bars that just crippled our community. There was just all this stuff happening and all you're trying to worry about is just your baby surviving. So yeah. it just added to the stress and it was just a wild, wild time, but he made a full recovery and we were so blessed to bring him home on That's Thanksgiving amazing. day, but it had been a journey. Oh, I can't even imagine. Like you think you go through the issues of trying to conceive you fall pregnant on your first try of IVF, get through your pregnancy only to have this worry and doubt and complete fear that like he may not even survive after all that. Yeah. And I feel like, especially with IVF, and this was my experience, you never, everyone's like, okay, wait till you wait till uh, you hit 20 weeks and then you don't have to worry. Going through this experience, there was never a moment where I didn't worry. Every time I lifted something or I did something or I was around a certain scent, I was like, oh my God, did I kill the baby? Is the baby's, is he, is he still breathing in there? Like, yeah. I don't think the worrying of him and his, his health ever left me. It was, mm. it's very stressful getting to the point of trying to conceive is, is a stressful part, but then you're not relaxed. If I use that term loosely, you don't breathe that sigh of relief. I think until the baby comes out. And yeah. for me, the sigh of relief didn't come for like another quite some time later. after that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah, you, I'll feel okay. Once he's here, you yeah. never, you yeah. never get to a point. So it's, something that I just can't even envision or even dream about what another woman goes through that doesn't have those struggles. Like it, it's a totally different experience. Oh, I think of these women that can just fall pregnant and have a baby and yeah, they don't have to worry and how blissful that must be. Uh, yeah. I would have more children, you know, yeah. it, it, and, and then you question why, why me? Like I'm healthy. Yeah. I'm fit financially stable. My husband and I really want this. We're in a healthy, loving relationship. We have a great support system. Like why, why can this not happen? You really have to not fall victim to why other, why other people have the journey they have and why you don't. Cause yeah. I could have, I could have played victim to that from the very beginning. And, yeah. and I've really just tried to stay mentally positive, like for whatever reason, these are the cards I was dealt yeah. and I'm going to play them. That's yeah. all I have. Did you have friends around you while you were trying to conceive falling pregnant? Yes, I did. I, um, I actually had another friend who got pregnant th through IVF, um, maybe like six months before I did. So, um, her and I, it was really nice to kind of go through that with, with someone else that, was going through the injections and the hormones mm. and all these doctor appointments with someone. And then I did have another friend who, you know, just decided with her partner that they were going to have a baby. And like a couple months later, she's pregnant. Like 
a totally different journey. During your egg retrieval, how many eggs did you get? Not a lot. I want to say like 14. Okay. Yeah, I did not get a lot. And everything that I read, which you can go down a complete rabbit hole reading yeah. on the internet, um, it just takes one. And mm. and it, whatever you retrieve, just know you're going to end up with like half of that, if mm-hmm. that. And it really only takes one. And when I hear women that are like, oh my God, I only got this much. I I question or I challenge them to, to think about what are you going to do if you have 10 healthy embryos mm. and you've transferred all of them, you're going to transfer, you've completed your family, you're totally content. Yeah. Now you have to make another decision equally difficult of we, we have an embryo in storage right now. And I'm pretty sure we're done, but there's still a lingering. I'm not sure. And mm-hmm. to me, that that little embryo is not just an embryo. That is me and my husband. Yeah. And it's so much more than an embryo. It represents yeah. so much hard work. And I went through two egg retrievals. Okay. Because when we when we had the first one, we wound up with four and we paid, we elected to pay for the the testing that is expensive and insurance Mm. does not cover that. But I was like, if we're going this far to do this, I don't want to get to the point where we just transfer an embryo and we don't know if it's a good quality. So we um, had one boy, no, two boys and two girls. And I'm sorry, one boy and three girls. And we transferred Presley. That's my son's name. And then I want to say in 2020, at the end of the year, we transferred a girl and it failed. Okay. Another month later, it failed. Another, my last girl transferred and it failed. And it was like, well, we're done. And then I just couldn't let it go. I was like, no, I'm not done. When I tap out and say like mercy is when I can be okay with where we're at. But I was like, I want to keep trying. And we did another egg retrieval on Mother's Day of 2021. And we transferred in... July and it failed. And then I transferred again in September and it failed. And I took a break and was like, let's just enjoy the holidays coming up, be present with the family, maybe go back to the drawing board, go get a second opinion and we'll wait till after the first. And I have yet to transfer. Okay. So we still pay a storage fee and yeah. So I, I always encourage when I see people like, I only got this many. And it's like, but what what are you going to do if you have mm. a ton of really good graded embryos? Like you have to yeah. make a decision with yeah, that. And it's very, very hard. Like where I'm at in my journey, I don't, I'll give you a little bit of a rundown with what mm-hmm. I've been through. I had a miscarriage very first time I fell pregnant, early miscarriage passed naturally, fell pregnant again straight away. And that was my son. And then I thought my miscarrying days were over. We tried again. He was about one and a half. And after about three months, I fell pregnant and never envisioned that something could go wrong. And I ended up having a missed miscarriage with that baby. And the difference between like having a miscarriage spontaneously and then having one that doesn't pass on its own is just the biggest head fuck because the markers that you look for the miscarriage, like you go to the toilet checking for bleeding, 
you get your blood draws and your HCG levels are still rising and it's confusing. That, oh yeah. It's just it was devastating. So I didn't want to try again until we had answers because I couldn't just keep going through miscarriage after miscarriage. Even though my doctor at the time was like, oh, it's most likely chromosomal abnormality. You know, we need X amount, like three consecutive miscarriages before we'll start investigating. And I'm like, fuck that. How much more heartache do you want me to go through before I start like finding answers, like why this is happening? So that's when I I had to start advocating for myself. I did a lot of my own research. Um, My periods had also changed after having my son. They were really light and only three days long. And I happened to come across this post from a fertility naturopath and he's like, inlining can indicate this, this and this. I was like, all right, so I need to get my estrogen tested. I need an ultrasound done like mid-cycle to check the thickness of my lining, which my doctor who I went back to completely refused me. So I had to go find someone else who would give me these tests. And yeah, at mid-cycle, my lining was only like four mil. And I don't know if it's the same over there, but for IVF, for them to even do a transfer, it needs to be like eight plus. Yeah. So, So anyway, I went to a fertility specialist after that. And I had a couple of hysteroscopies for him to just get a glimpse of what was going on inside he couldn't find the left cavity of my uterus he could see the right side where the fallopian tube enters Uh, he sent me to another specialist interstate and I've got Asherman syndrome which is adhesions and scarring inside the uterus which was caused by a DNC that I had after my son was born because I had retained placenta and it was so bad that it's actually fused the left side of my uterus together so wow so yeah one of my tubes is now blocked from that and I can only fall pregnant if I ovulate from the right side now I have something to add to that yeah unless you were continuing no 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 first off I'm sorry that is awful and I think it's very much minimized Mm. and especially coming from like I can't speak for all doctors I don't know all doctors but I feel like especially the male ones it's so dismissive and it's like, no, this was a creature that I was, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I fell madly deeply in love with. So for it to be, you know, just, well, we got to have a three more is just like, do you have any idea what you're asking of me? Yeah. When I, I also had like a delayed placenta. It took probably over an hour to get it out. Oh, really? Yes. So, um, I had done, I have done four transfers since my son and, fail, 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 fail. And my girlfriend who, who got pregnant real quick, um, after I did my first transfer and got pregnant, um, she had had several miscarriages after her first child, like at 11, I want to say one of them was at 14, like 11 weeks back to back to back. And it was like, what the heck? I had a baby, got pregnant, no problem. Yeah, Yeah. Had a fine pregnancy. So she is like, she went on like a deep investigative, like researched everything. And she came across this amazing doctor, Dr. Kelly Beck in um, Los Angeles. And she really kind of specializes in um, 
back-to-back miscarriages and failed IVF. And she went to her and said, oh my God, you have a ton of scarring tissue. This is Mm -hmm. why nothing's able to like progress any further than what you have been. So he, she sent her to a specialist in San Francisco whose only main thing is to clean out scarring. Yeah. And cleaned her out. And the first time she tried, they got pregnant and she just had her, her second daughter yeah. um, back in November. So yeah. after she saw that doctor, she, I was like, you know what, let me, let me go see this doctor. Mm. If I, I have one more embryo left, I am not going to transfer it until I have more answers. I think that's the biggest thing is like you, you said earlier, advocating for yourself. Yeah. Nobody is going to do the work that you are willing to do for mm. yourself. Yeah. And if you hear something that doesn't make sense, go and find another doctor. It's worth the extra money. It's worth paying the consultation because when you get invested in IVF and the the transfers and all this, you're talking hundreds and thousands of dollars. Mm. So it's worth going to see that other doctor, getting a second, third, fourth, whatever opinion. So I saw this lady and chatted with her for like 20 minutes. She was extremely thorough. We go into, um, uh, a room where she's able to do a vaginal ultrasound. And Mm -hmm. I'm not even kidding you within minutes, look at all that scarring. This right here is where all the implantation takes place. It's no wonder these have failed. And then you're just full of emotion because you're like, how did my other doctor not, not see this? Mm. Why did he not further investigate this? I think infertility is very much on the rise. Mm. And I think there's a lot to do with it. I think our food source is heavily to blame. Um, And some of these clinics are like, they're just that. They're a clinic. They pump them in, pump them out. They know these women are desperate and they'll do anything. And a lot of them haven't done a second, third, fourth opinion and don't know any of their own research. They don't do it. So um, having this woman say right there, that's why I need you to go up to San Francisco and have this doctor who this is all he does, specializes in cleaning the scar tissue get that done, come back and I will transfer your last embryo. And side story, we, we haven't done it. Cause I just, I don't know if I can go through all of that again, because it's not just, yeah. I'm going to go through IVF again. Now I got to go get cleaned out, pay all this money to fly up there, recover mm-hmm. and then go through IVF. And it may not work. Yeah. It, it, even the best case scenario, it, it may not work. So yeah. I haven't done it, but I tell everyone about this doctor within moments she had answers right there. And it was just very, very frustrating that I had lost all these, these little baby embryos Mm. because someone didn't, I don't know, do their due diligence. So I think, um, Asherman's or scarring of the uterus still isn't like widely recognized enough. And I think it does take going to like speaking to the right specialist to be like, Oh, okay. This is the issue. Yeah. And it sounds like maybe with how long it took to get your placenta out, that maybe it was a little stuck. You know, my OB that delivered my son was an awful human being. And he blamed everything on everybody but himself. He took Mm -hmm. no accountability. And yeah, it was a very awful. He was like one of ranked one of the top doctors in my area and I just, tr- you just trust yeah, everything they say and yeah. you don't question them. He's like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's this, it's that. And he just, 
I was not this paranoid pregnant woman. I was like, we got over the hurdle of me getting pregnant. I'm pregnant. Mm. We're good. Mm. I just listened to what everybody, whatever he advised and didn't think anything more than that. But he never, and maybe I'm dumb to not know this, but when you've never been pregnant, you don't know any different. I didn't know I was supposed to give a urine sample every time I had an appointment with my OB. Never once did we do a urine. Never. And I talked to my other, I didn't know that until after I I had my son and the whole debacle happened. Yeah, yeah. My friend was like, you're supposed to give a sample every appointment I'm all. I got, I gave nothing. Nobody asked. I didn't know. I didn't go to the bathroom or walk into the restroom every time I was there. So I didn't, I didn't know. Oh, so that would have been why I've forgotten the name of that condition with the itchy skin, but that would have been why that wasn't picked up. Cholestasis. Yeah. Wow. That's almost like just negligence. Negligence. And my friend who got pregnant very easily, she had her daughter three days after my son and she had talked to the nurses and was like, remember that baby that got airlifted? Cause there's not, it's not every day a baby gets airlifted no. out of the NICU. And he just was taking absolutely no accountability. And it was said that I, I knew I had cholestasis and I ignored getting tested for the, and I'm like, what? Wow. I shelled out so many thousands of dollars for this IVF. If you think I would have ever turned down any testing to look into an, a condition I was having. So it just was a very, very unfortunate thing. And I'm, I think the anger tends to like dissipate when I know I have a child at the end mm. of the day. Yeah. Could have been so much worse, but I do have a little miracle. It's not worth harboring those those emotions and that frustration. No, there's not. Yeah. How's Presley doing now? Um, he's amazing. Um, because he was on ECMO, he's constantly had therapy because it could affect so many things. Um, uh-huh. His walking, the talking, the cognitive, it could affect so many things. So we were told um, you're, if you see anything that could be a delayed reaction from um, the ECMO machine, you won't see it until he's like three or four. Oh, okay. We've had a lot of, we've had a lot of behavioral issues that yeah. kind of started around three. Yeah. And um, we've recently had him diagnosed and he's got ADHD and um, autism, speaking delay, but he is the happiest guy. And is some of this because of what the doctor did or didn't do? We'll never know. No. I don't even want to waste the the energy on wondering about that. Yeah. But he is the happiest, most beautiful miracle I could have ever asked for. We are so blessed. We are so, so That's blessed. Beautiful. Yes. It was a long, long journey to get yeah. us to where we're at today. Yeah. But it is all so worth it. With all the sleepless nights and the tantrums and everything that they tend to throw at us. I mean, when you love something that much, it's amazing how frustrated they can make you and like lovey-dovey within like 30 seconds I know. of each other. Yeah. But just to know that you created this little human and, and the process that we went through to know about the embryo and how it you know, it goes through its um, blastocyst stage and now it's yeah. dividing and multiplying. It just, thank God to science. First 
test tube baby is like only 41, 42. Is it really? So, Holy yes. Crap. Wow. It, yeah. I want to say a couple years ago, I read about it and they were like 39. So I just feel blessed that in my lifetime, I was able to come across this and it was, it's obviously more affordable now than it was 40 years yeah. ago. So just grateful for science and, and doctors that are like on this journey of helping to complete people's families. So still undecided at this point about number two. Yeah, because my yeah. son requires so much therapy and we're involved in so many different things to kind of help bring him back up to speed. It, I think it'd be fair, unfair to everyone involved. Mm. But now we've kind of got, I feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel where we've got him on on the right track to get yeah. these, these, these things addressed to where I, recently I have been like, hmm. Maybe, maybe I just go up to San Francisco, get cleaned out. So when and if I do get ready to transfer this last one, I'm, I've already got that portion right, taken, that, that taken care time. of. Yeah. And it's nice to have your child a little older to where they could, they could help. He's not yeah. like, he's not two and I'm trying to breastfeed mm, an infant mm. and have a two-year-old. So, yeah. and, and he's going to school. So that gives me more time, you know, with, with a baby, if that were to be the case. So yeah. It, I haven't ruled out either way. So TBD. Oh, well, I wish you the best of luck with whatever you decide to do. I'm so happy that you've had a good outcome after everything that you've been through. Yes. Thank you. Is there any piece of advice that you would give other women struggling to have a baby? Um, do your own due diligence, do your own research. Um, if something doesn't seem right, go get a second opinion, go get a yeah. third, you know, don't, don't rush into this. Um, and just have patience with yourself. Have patience as hard as it, it is to not like beat yourself up. Like, why me? Why isn't this working? I, this is what I was meant to do is have a baby, procreate. Don't go down that rabbit hole. It's a dark place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, God has a plan. And we may not see it right now or even next year, but everything eventually makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, just to have patience and, and grace with yourself. That's beautiful. I couldn't have said it better. I couldn't agree more. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed every minute of your story. And yeah, like You're I so said, I'm sweet. just so happy that you've had a happy ending. And if you do decide to go down the road for number two, I hope that you do get to experience that blissful pregnancy where yeah, you need a little help getting pregnant through IVF, but, you know, the rest of it's just a walk in the park. You and me both. <laughs> Everything's crossed for you. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to apologize for, you know, the the things you've endured. It's it's not fair, and although it, it's a part of life, it still doesn't minimize the pain that we go through. And yeah. um, if if having another is, is what is going to complete your family – yeah don't stop and and just have patience and and know that it's a journey we don't get there overnight when no, we have we to go this route so yeah. um, I wish you all the best thank you all so much thank you of course of course just so appreciative that there's women like you willing to come on and share with a complete stranger and <laughs> I'm yeah sure it's, it's gonna help a lot of people I feel like when things got like crazier and crazier and crazier I was like, you couldn't write a story yeah. like this. You couldn't yeah. make this up. And yeah. 
all it's done is just made me such a stronger person that whatever life throws at me, even just becoming a mom, you're like, I'm yeah. a fucking badass. I just shoved this child out of a little area and I just feel so much more like mature. I'm, I feel more like comfortable in my skin. Yeah. And I really, after what we went through with Presley, I really feel like there is nothing, nothing I cannot do. Nothing. Yeah. When you are faced with almost burying your infant child, mm. there is, that is like taking me to hell and back. And yeah. Once you've been there, there is nothing that intimidates me, scares me. And it's just, it, it's overall made me a better human, a better person, a better wife, mother, and yeah. see life from a much more delicate understanding place. That's the thing with going through stuff like this. Hey, it's like, I hate the saying, like, everything happens for a reason, but there's always a silver lining to all the shit that we go through in life. There is, and you and you have to find that silver lining. Yeah, because it's so easy to like fall victim to poor me, poor this, poor that, and yeah, there are situations where yeah, it sucks. Yeah, that's it's unfortunate. Just shit. Yeah, it's just it wasn't fair in mm. so many ways. Yeah, but to try really hard because that negative just we because we can't see the weight of it doesn't mean it doesn't affect us. It yeah. absolutely does. Yeah, and I think if we could if we could quantify it and we could see what the stress and the negativity looks like inside of us, we would definitely lighten that load. Yeah. And it's definitely not helpful when trying to go through this process. You just have to keep your head up, stay positive, stay focused and just trust in the process yeah. and your faith. If you, you know, have yeah. a higher being you, you pray to or believe in it and yeah. just keep a good group of people around you. That's, mm. I think that's just for life in yeah, general. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, if you ever feel like you need to reach out or ask questions or call and cry, this is like a community and like a sisterhood with complete strangers that are not strangers. Yeah. Because nobody in the world understands this. I, I'm so close to my mom and my sister, and as close as I am to them, you're perfectly good stranger that understands yeah. it on a level yeah. that they never will yeah yeah that's it. so and that's, that's what I'm really are. hoping to create through the podcast like and the Instagram page is just a community where you can connect with each other and my inbox is always open for anyone that needs to just vent or cry or share their good news and yeah yeah well thank you for providing that because there's a lot of people that that need that yeah absolutely give yeah. them hope so good job. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Messy in the Middle. My main goal for creating this podcast is to ensure other women going through the struggles of infertility and baby loss don't feel alone along this very isolating journey. I want to be able to reach as many women as possible. And in order for me to do this, I would really appreciate if you could subscribe and leave a rating and review on iTunes and Spotify. Also, if you have any feedback or suggestions of what you'd like to hear, please get in contact with me through the Messy in the Middle Instagram page. Sending you so much love and strength on your journey to baby.